Hi, Emily. Hi. What's up? So, I don't... I think I'm dead, but like um, a zombie now, and I'm just kind of still okay. operating and functioning at uh-huh. a moderate level, but like I'm also dead. But you're not sure? But I'm not sure. Okay. Um, and can you enumerate the things for me that make you believe this? My gut. My gut is telling me. I think zombie guts don't dead. work. I well, think... <laughs> is it that they're not working? Sure. Yes. Let's okay. go with that. Okay. Let's go with that. So you just, are you more assuming that you might be dead based on all the stuff you've had going on? Maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying, would a doctor say, hey, Emily, you're the first ever zombie? Are you patient zero? I could be. Now that you're sitting in front of me, actually, mm-hmm. you do look super not alive anymore. Right? Yeah. So I guess Pulse. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm on your side with this one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good. Well, now that we're here and now that you're dead. Yeah. Should we do a podcast? Let's do it. Awesome. Hey, did you realize looking at the calendar, we're going to be in Chicago in three weeks? Yeah. Yeah. No, I super did. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a lot. You guys. It's so much. We are. There's just so much happening. It's, uh, it's a lot. Yep. So uh, forgive us for just being... Maybe the worst for the dead. next couple of episodes. Yep, totally dead. We're going to do our best here. This is episode 33 of the Uh-Oh Feeling. Whoa. Yeah. We've done this 33 times now. I know. It's We were impressed with ourselves when we'd done it like six times. I know. And look <laughs> at us go. I know. We're incredible at this. So We did um, it. And for anybody who maybe this is their first episode, this is a Survivor Story podcast. Yeah. And sometimes we do true crime and sometimes we don't. I've got a true crime one this time because I didn't last oh. time. But so. Because I thought this was a lighter episode, so I did ethnic cleansing. <laughs> <laughs> so what you are is full of shit. It's see, not, thought, not genocide. See, I thought last time was our lighter episode because you did hundreds of people dying from syphilis and I did a man being kept as a POW for five and a half years. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I could have done my true crime. It's fine. It's I would okay. have had to read a book for that one. Oh, God. You don't have and time for that right now. It's 191 pages. And I mean, I watched the documentary, but like she wrote the book. Sure. So. Maybe next time. And like, maybe we'll just do some switchies offies for a while. It's fine. There's a lot of murder in mine. So awesome. See, it still counts. It counts. It counts because we make the rules. Yeah. Fight, fight me. <laughs> or just fight Emily. You know what? That's fine. I'll say Yeah, that. I'm already dead, so, like, yeah. bring it. Yeah. You're what are you going like, to do? Kill do you me. Th- do you think you're, like, a 28 Days Later rage kind of zombie? Or do you think you're, like, a shuffling, like, you're not very scary unless you like somebody, like, trips over in front of you and then refuses to get up for five minutes? No, I'm way more animated than that. Okay. Like, so I you- could... I'm, like, Walking Dead meets iZombie. I haven't seen iZombie. I haven't either, but I've seen the previews and I've seen some gifts and like I'm familiar enough with it. So like they're still zombies. They're not necessarily like the rage monster, but they're faster maybe yep. and a little more scary than old timey zombies. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I appreciate um, you not killing me so far. I need you for the next three weeks. Oh, you're right. But then I could just, anyway, I don't want to be a zombie, but I feel like we could do an all zombie pod. It'd be fine. We could. Yeah. We could. Pod zombie. 
Zompod. Zompod. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The uh-oh oh. feeling is over. It's, it's dead. Now Zompod. Zompod now. <laughs> All right. I believe I'm going first. So I am going to tell you the story of Kayla Brown. Um, it's, I mean, it's not a crazy name, uh, but I'm sure you'll recognize this as soon as I start talking about it. Kayla Brown was held prisoner by a man named uh, Todd Kolhep for 65 days. The video of her rescue in 2016 went around a lot. Yes. She's, yep. she's in a, a storage container. Yep. Yep. That's her. I'm just going just gonna to tell a little bit about her story now. Um, I just remember, like, I was trying to think of one earlier, and I was like, man, I watched that video, like, 60 times. Like I was, up. yeah, I was so fascinated by her in that moment and her like reaction to what was happening and how really calm she was. But as soon as they started asking her like questions, she started talking and then she didn't stop. Like she just had so much to tell them and she was telling them all this important shit immediately right off the bat. Like it was crazy. So I think about her a lot. So here's her story. First, a little background. So Todd Colehep is a son of a bitch. Bum, bum, bum. Wow. Uh, he was born in 1971, and he was known as an aggressive and destructive child. Great. That's good, good start. That's good. Yeah. At nine years old, he began going to a counselor, which, dece. Okay. Uh, that counselor said he was explosive and preoccupied with sexual content. Oh. So at 15, Todd Colehep kidnapped a 14-year-old girl in Tempe, Arizona. Mm-hmm. He brought her at gunpoint back to his home and he raped her. And then he let her go, threatening to hurt her family if she told anybody. But clearly she was like, fuck you, because he was charged (laughs) with kidnapping and sexual assault. Rad. Good for you. 15-year-old kid. Spends 14 years in prison. That's half his life. Cool. He was diagnosed there with borderline personality disorder, which makes sense. Not all people with borderline personality disorder are going to do something like this. It's nope. just a very small amount. Oh, yeah. That also tend to either have sociopathic tendencies or they are psychopaths. Right. He was also um, one that was interesting because he was slightly smarter than the average. That's not usual for Which sociopaths. Is, yeah. that's Those are the scary ones. Yeah. He thinks through shit. Like not Bundy's great. IQ was really high. Yes. But someone like Richard Ramirez, very low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he serves his 14 years in prison. Um, he gets out of prison in 2001, and he moves to South Carolina, where his mother is. He gets an education, and he eventually becomes a very successful realtor, despite being a sex offender, because he did lie about that on federal forms. Oh, you know, so, you, you do what you, uh, you've got, you've got to do to yeah. sell that house. Uh-huh. You know how sometimes it really do be like that? Yeah. I guess. Um, um, okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I, I do have to say, like, sociopaths are super good at selling stuff. Yep. Like, he was one of the best realtors in South Carolina. My mom was, like, top three sales for charter communications, like, three years in a row in the state. And it's like, yeah, of course. She doesn't care about you. So she yeah. can sell stuff. Yeah. Like, just like that. So he's pretty successful. Meanwhile, just like while he's doing this, he might have gone on just like a little bit, just like a tiny, like a super small, insignificant, not even worth mentioning, serial killing streak. 
Um, but like, don't worry about it. I'm absolutely worried about <laughs> it. <laughs> we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. Let's talk about Kayla now. And her name is spelled K-A-L-A. So when I'm typing things, my brain goes Kala. So if I accidentally say that, I apologize, Kayla. So Kayla, at the time, lives in Anderson, South Carolina. She was 30 years old. Kayla was also dating a man named Charlie Carver. He was 32 at the time. And I saw in one of her statements that she worked mainly in healthcare, but literally... Like, there's not a lot around about Kayla, and I like to think that maybe is on purpose. Like, she's yeah. a victim. Yeah, and protect they as much as they can. Exactly. But yeah, she mentions that once. Otherwise, I don't have a lot of info on Kayla's early life, that sort of thing. I like to think it just was kept out of the media, and that's totally fine by me. Um, Kayla had the misfortune of meeting our trash can human, mm. Todd Kolhep, because they had a mutual friend. And I'm not sure exactly how long they knew each other, but it seems like they'd met around 2010, 2011. And she was friends with him on Facebook. And eventually, I don't know if she left healthcare or wanted a job on the side, but she starts to clean the houses he is selling for him. So he will call her to do a job, give her the keys, tell her the address. She and sometimes her boyfriend, Charlie, will go and clean the house for him before he shows it. Now the incident. On August 31st, 2016, Kayla and her boyfriend, Charlie go up to Colehep's property in Woodruff, South Carolina, to help him clear some underbrush. It's just like any of their other jobs that they've done in the past, except this time he says, I'll go with you, which makes sense. It's his actual property. He lives somewhere and has a house, and then here in Woodruff, he has like a 100 acres of land with some buildings on it. Uh, look, a hundred acres of land... It's so many acres. ...is so big. <laughs> like, there's just a lot... There. So he, they drive behind him to this place. He has to unlock a gate at the start of the property, which when they get their cars through, he then locks again behind them. And they drive half a mile away from oh. the road so that nobody can see. The road oh, is not you know, visible you anymore. You gotta keep the deer out. Yeah, you know how it be, I guess. They're so good at picking locks. Yeah, it's definitely not that. You gotta make sure you've got like a sturdy gate yeah. with a real lock. It's all about deer. All about definitely. deer. Definitely about deer. Not about keeping prying eyes no. out of his dastardly doings. Absolutely not. Nope, Everybody knows that deer are pretty good lock picks. You have to be really yeah. careful. Um, so on this property is like a two-story garage type thing um, and a storage shed and a 30 by 15 shipping container. That's it. You know, because you just have that. You know, sometimes uh, sometimes you just have those that you keep forever. Sure. So Cole Hep gives them hedge clippers and some water. And uh, he's like, okay, I'm about to show you which trails I want you guys to sort of clear the brush from. But give me one second. I'll be right back. Uh-oh. So he leaves for a minute and he comes back. And immediately they see he has a gun which he immediately uses, he raises it and shoots Charlie in the chest three times. Ow. Like, it's that that's, fast. It's not... That's not something you bounce back from. No, no. Charlie dead, everybody. Yeah, um, Charlie's not the survivor Charlie. of the story. Sorry, He's Charlie. Um, all By all accounts, Charlie was a very nice person. Mm. So that is very sad. This is a quote from Kayla about this, like, moment. Charlie fell backwards. I was completely in shock. I looked down at him. That's when Todd grabbed me from behind, 
took me inside, put me on the floor, handcuffed me. So as far as I know, he takes her into the garage, the main building on the property. Cole Hep drags Kayla into this garage. He cuffs her feet together and he uh, cuffs her hands behind her back. And then he leaves her there while he goes to dispose of Charlie's body. So this is good for Kayla and for us and just for like justice in general. <laughs> just justice in general. <laughs> but it is bad for Cole Hep because he buries the body. He buries Charlie and then he brags about all the shit he did to make sure he got rid of all the evidence, like right to her. So well, he probably wasn't thinking long term. No. Like, oh, yeah, you're definitely not going to be able to tell any of this to anyone ever. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're mine now. So what's yeah, the point so, in hiding it? <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest with you because I probably have a huge ego. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Everything he tells her is so like, aren't I impressive? Mm hmm. Am I amazing? Mm -hmm. You think I'm amazing? I'm totally amazing. You should probably, like, think I'm really hot and smart and awesome. So, he tells her that where he buries his bodies, his bodies, he puts red pepper plants around them so that dogs can't sniff them. Because the red pepper, like, plant will interfere with a dog's smell enough that they will not smell the corpses. Hmm. He also uh, takes Charlie's car, spray paints it brown, Fills it with dog food and then puts it just like in the woods so that animals will come get at it and destroy any evidence that it was Charlie's car. And also he puts brush over the top of it so you can't see it like from the road or from above. So, yeah, not a dumb move, I'd say, I guess, if you have to get rid of a car and you have a hundred acres to do it on. Dog food's so expensive, though. Oh, that was my thought, too. I was like, <laughs> he got that generic shit. He totally, like, or did he get the organic so it wouldn't oh hurt the God. animals? Because, you know. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure he shot a dog as a kid. I didn't mention that, but uh, he had cruelty to animals was on his list. I think he gave yeah. him the stuff that would give him all diarrhea. Um, so, he does all that, and he tells her all that. And he also tells her that the government used to pay him to kill people. I feel like that's a lie. Yeah. And that he's a human trafficker, so she might be sold at any moment. That is less of a lie. Less of Maybe. a lie. Maybe. But she, she doesn't even believe that from him. He's She's also like, super narcissistic, uh -huh. so why would he give something up? Just something to strike fear in her. She mm -hmm. didn't even feel like it was true at the time he said it. She was like, mm, probably just trying to scare me, but I'll stay on my toes <laughs> regardless. So, oh, I do want to say, like, it, it is hard to know what to believe from this guy, certainly. But remember that itty-bitty murder streak I might have mentioned a little bit ago? Yeah, I think so. I think I vaguely yeah. remember a mention, but you told me not to worry about it, right. so I haven't been worrying about That's it. That's good. I'd like you to worry about it a little bit more now. Oh. Just a modicum more. Well, that takes so much effort. I'm sorry. I'm just just a tiny bit. Can okay, we just fine, dial fine, it up to fine, one? Fine, Thank fine. you. This is a quote from Kayla. The story he told me was about four. He walked into a bike shop in Anderson and shot four people, and then they never found out who did it. And at the time, yes, this was a 13-year-old cold case. He liked to brag that he was a serial killer and a mass murderer. He said he was going to kill more people because he had dreams of his body count being in the three digits. He said right now it was still in the high two digits. Sounds like bullshit. Hmm. Like, you think you, you've killed... Over 50 people. High two digits. Like, that's just just shy of 100. And yet you've got one story yeah. <laughs> about some people you shot in a bike shop. Anyway. 
So this is the guy that Kayla is dealing with. Gross. Super gross. And for the next 65 days, roughly every day goes like this. Kayla is kept in the shipping container until Cole Hep comes to get her between 1 and 3 p.m. He takes her to the garage, he feeds her, and he rapes her. Then he leaves, takes her back to the shipping container, and then he will come back, usually around like between 5 and 7, so he hasn't even been gone long, and he will do the same thing. He will feed her, and he will rape her, and then he will put her back. He would also occasionally let her take a bath. She is shackled to the nines during all of this. She says at one point it took her like two weeks to convince him to stop shackling her feet while she moved between buildings because it hurt like a bitch. Yeah. So, quote, he said he would never see jail time. He would either, <laughs> uh-huh. He would either buy his way out or his handlers would get him out. Handlers. Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> Someone who thinks the government paid him to kill people. Yeah, so, uh-huh. You know, he has handlers mm-hmm. and they live in the wall. Right. Oh, yeah. They're right over here. You don't see them? You don't see them? This is Jeremy, my handler. Oh. oh. It's just empty space. He's from Quantico. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He said that if he was ever caught, that he would say, I shot Charlie. That I had seduced him and made him think that I wanted to to get away from Charlie. Because they would totally believe that. Uh Uh-huh. And and he said that he had money and that they would believe him first and that he was going to put it all on me. I mean, I do want to say Kayla doesn't seem as though she is, she becomes the level of broken down that like the girl in the box story where like you can just tell them anything. Yeah. Yeah. That one's particularly heinous though. Yeah. So, but yeah, like he's just doing that thing where it's like, I'm frightening you so that you never try to escape Mm -hmm. because it's not going to do you any good anyway, because I'm, even if they try to find out that I killed all these people. It's not going to work. I'm never going to go to jail. I'm going to pin it all on you. Just trying to keep her complacent. So this seems like Cole Hep's plan. Step one, kidnap chick. Step two, turn her into a killer like he is. Step three, question mark. Step four, never get caught by the cops. Like, I don't know what the fuck his idea was. What was he going to do? He needs to fucking calm down, Hannibal. Yes, I know. Calm down. I love you. Will you turn into a killer with me? No. That is the thing. Like, he does. He's like, I just want, I'm going to teach you how to handle guns. I'm going to teach you to be just like me. That's when she was like, I was in the healthcare industry. Why would he think I'd ever want to hurt somebody? <laughs> like, poor thing. But anyway. He could have picked better. Yes. He seems to have no other plan than this, though. But he did make it clear that he was not opposed to killing her the moment he no longer wanted her around. Sure. So as frightening as that was for Kayla, and after everything she's gone through, she is tired, I think, by this point. Totally yeah, understandable. That's, that's fair. Yes. It's been 65 days. Uh-huh. But one thing I did love, in all her descriptions, she never seems to lose her sense of, like, how should I put it, like, fuck you-ness to her interactions with him. This is she a- doesn't lose her... <laughs> she doesn't lose her sass. Yes. Her fight, her will to survive. Exactly. She says, quote, 
I told him I hated him. Mm. I refused to do anything he wanted. Ooh. If he said, if I said no, he didn't force himself on me because he said he didn't believe in rape. It's all rape, but in his mind, if she says no when he leaves her alone, then it's then fine. it's totally not rape. Uh huh. But he made it very well known why I was there and if I wasn't useful, that I wouldn't need to be kept any longer and that he would shoot me. I wasn't scared anymore. If he shot me, it would be easier. Like, yeah, I guess I understand that. Technically, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Uh, a lot of things are easier than what she's going through right now. Yeah. I would argue most things. Most things. Including death. So that's Opening fine. Opening a two-year-old jar of pickles. Yeah. Would be easier. Than Without hitting it with a knife. Without hitting it with a knife or the use of hitting the floor. I'm sorry, you just, you just bend over and hit shit on the floor when you don't have a knife or? Yeah. Okay. You don't, <laughs> you don't take the can and tap the top of it on the ground? No, I hit it on, I'll just hit the side of it on the counter or something. Well, we've learned something here today, folks. Different Midwestern bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, does anybody outside of these, like, <laughs> these states right here worry about how to open a drawer of pickles? I'm not sure they do. <laughs> just don't try and hit it on the floor when you're drunk. Did you smash a jar of pickles? No. So Emily smashed a jar of pickles <laughs> while drunk one you time. You don't have proof. I I think I Except do. Except the it's fact your... that I really only like pickles when I'm drunk. <laughs> yeah, I but think like it's... only like baby pickles, like the little dill oh, pickles because they're crunchy. Yes, those are the best. Yeah, for sure. Also, everything you've said here for the last ten seconds is my evidence. So <laughs> eat my dick. Damn it! Whoopsies. Um, so. The rescue. So meanwhile, while all of this is happening, Kayla and Charlie have been missing since August 31st. And everyone has noticed. Yeah. They, yeah. They have family. She they have worked, friends. She, they have family? They have family. They have family. <laughs> <laughs> she worked in a hospital. Yeah. Like, well, they notice when you're gone. Yeah. Well, and I don't know for sure if she still did at that point, but either way. But like, either way, she built a network within her community. They pay sure. attention. And both she and Charlie had a good network of yeah. friends that they'd known for years. Family. Fr and their family. <laughs> <laughs> and their fram family. <laughs> and so it's pretty obvious. Like one day they went to do a job that they do a lot and they didn't come back. So their friends and family file missing persons reports like immediately. Like sure. that day. Sure. Um, it's hard for me to understand exactly why it took so long to find Kayla. It seems like a number of factors from what I was reading. So on August 31st, the day they go missing, they are seen leaving their home and not returning. And authorities are notified and they ping their cell phones, which basically means like for anybody who doesn't know that they're looking at the last time their cell phone, like sent a signal to, to a, a tower. A tower. Yeah. Yes. So like what, what tower and they was can that? Literally triangulate around the area. Yes. And kind of pinpoint a general idea of where it has they are. to be within two miles of yeah. that tower yeah. at least. So they've got like a search area mm -hmm. and they ping both their cell phones and get a rough estimation of where they are, which is where she still fucking is. That's where they, he didn't take their cell phones. Like, he didn't do... There's, her cell phone died two days in. Sure. But, like, they still could see this is the last place it was. However, it's still a two-mile radius of mostly woods. Yeah. And, like, it's multiple people's land. 
His and o- it's private property. Mm-hmm. His is only one of the properties that abuts this area. Yeah. So, like, that's one part of it. I'm sorry. Um, did you just say abuts? abuts? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're abuts. Oh. Okay. Continue. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it has to do mainly with, like, issues of jurisdiction, because this is no longer the same county as where they live. So, they lived in Anderson, and this is Wood, whatever I said earlier. I say it again later. I don't know. It's like Woodruff. 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 So that's different counties. Those are different police forces. So getting the police forces to put their shit together takes some time. Also, yes. then getting a warrant to actually Paperwork. get... Paperwork. Yes. Getting, getting in front of a evidence. judge. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's mainly it. I do not... I am not saying that anyone was slacking on their job. It super doesn't seem like that. It, it just took time. a while. Yeah. And especially in a missing persons case, you have to have a lot of evidence to prove you have a suspicion of wrongdoing or mm-hmm. anything like that to take it in front of a judge. It takes time. It's a lot of paperwork. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of legwork on the cops' parts. It's not as fast as it is on TV. Yeah. They don't call someone at three in the morning being like, hey, Judge Blobbity Blah, are you at home? Right. And I can at least give these guys props for starting to work on the case immediately. Yes. And not they didn't like, blow it off. Yes. Like, oh, they just ran away and eloped or something. Which I will talk about in the next episode. Good. Because I will do a case where the cops definitely blew it off. Great. Wonderful. That mm. does happen. It, it does. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen here, thankfully. One weird thing that did happen, I will say. Um... At one point, Charlie's Facebook page becomes active. Oh. And I, they think it was hacked. They don't think it was, like, the murderer or That's anything. That's weird. But he starts talking about how the two of them have run off to get married. And then he's, like, posting random memes about superheroes. And they're just like, hey, Charlie? <laughs> is that you, bud? We haven't seen you in a while. Where are you at? And he starts responding to messages, and it doesn't sound like him. It's nonsensical. It's weird. And they're like, Okay. We don't think this is Charlie at all. So that might hold things up, too, where they're like, for a hot second there, they're like, is Charlie alive? It's a Are red they herring. Yes. So, either way. On October 18th, the authorities expanded their search into Spartanburg County, which is where Woodruff is. Um, and they finally, like, involve the police up there. And the police there do a flyover of the property, hoping to find Charlie Carver's white car. But if you will recall, our not totally stupid murderer painted that car brown and covered it in tree brush. So it cannot be seen. But the police do not give up there. They're like, we just need to get on the ground. We need to get a warrant. This It's too suspicious for us to just let it go just because we can't see a car. So on November 3rd, 2016, Two teams of investigators went out. A couple of officers went to Todd Kolhep's home to talk to him. The one in, like, Anderson. Mm-hmm. And the rest went to his property in Woodruff. Mainly, they're just keeping him busy. Right, while well, they go and actually, actually find do what the they need to do. Exactly. So, they cleared the garage first. There's nothing in there, but they do find there's a loft apartment. It's like two stories. There's a loft apartment and there are U-bolt chains all around the bed. So that's cool. Totally good sign. Yeah. Not suspicious at all. No. uh, Then they approach the shipping container. Mm. 
where they hear someone yelling help. Mm. So that's good. And then they went home. Mm -hmm. You'll see on the video that it like takes them a bit to get that fucking door open. Like they have to use like bolt cutters and it's like a big deal. Like trying to get the crazy locks off of this fucking shipping container. Um, and I'm sure a good chunk of our listeners have seen this footage. It's like a body cam yeah, on somebody. It's... They get it open. And the first of all, this shipping container is full of stuff. It is not just Kayla. It's like there's like a cage in there for one thing, which is not cool. Like a cage that's like tall but narrow. I wouldn't even put a dog in there, you know? Yeah. Don't know if he would put her in there. Didn't mention specifically, but it's in there. There's bottles of water and just like random shit he clearly didn't have room for anywhere else. And then in the corner on this like makeshift bed is Kayla and she's got her hands tied up above her head and like chained to the wall behind her. So she's just sitting there and she's very calm. And like, I would be freaked out if I were her because like eight dudes go in all at once. Nobody's like, maybe let's do this one at a time. They all nope. go in immediately and it's this tiny space and they're all just standing around her and they get these bolt cutters and they start um, getting like the nine fucking chains off of her. She's got a chain around her neck. She's got chains around her feet and her hands. It takes a while and all this time they're being like, Where's the other guy? Where's Charlie? Where, where's Charlie? And she, and that's when she starts talking. And then that's when she doesn't stop. It's fucking chilling. Yes, it is. Because she's, she seems distressed, but also she is really getting all this information out in a very clear and concise manner. Yeah, like, it's definitely like, when you watch the footage, it's like, okay, she has rehearsed this. Oh, yeah. In she's her like, this head. Is what I will say. She knows what needs to be said mm -hmm. because it's like, I need to get this out. Before I completely and totally break down and I am useless for like 18 months. <laughs> Dude, for real. Yes. Like she really, really kept it together. It's so fucking impressive to watch her. Because yeah, she's just like, Charlie is dead. He shot him. I saw him wrapped up in a blue tarp. They put him in like the front loader of a bulldozer. He buried him. He buried him with these plants around it. She's just like giving them every bit of information. She says there are more bodies buried in that same area with the same plants around them. He said he killed four other people. And like... You just, they, they kind of pick her up and help her walk and she walks out and the video ends. She's still talking. She walks out and she keeps talking as the officers take her to the hospital. She tells them everything she's ever heard him say about the four people he killed in the bike shop. Um, and everything she saw that happened with Charlie and all the reason why she was there and like all of this stuff, everything she could remember, she brings up. So the investigation that follows from the information she gives recovers seven victims, seven buried bodies, including Charlie, all buried on the premises. A year later, Cole Hepp is still trying to get attention for his murders. This is like my, like, I get mad about this. He's still <laughs> trying to get attention for the murders. So he did write to a local newspaper saying that there were more bodies. So just like, you know, come talk to me, guys. I got so much more information. I've killed so many people. Aren't I cool? Uh, fuck this guy. But anyway, uh, Todd Coldhep is eventually charged with a total of seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one of sexual assault, and other smaller charges that go along with that. Shit like aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and stuff that's just always there. And on May 26th, 2017, Coldhep pled guilty on all counts. He didn't even try to fight that shit. <laughs> 
Probably because there's a literal mountain of evidence. There's a hundred acres of evidence. All against him. Yeah. like Of his own fucking doing. Mm-hmm. If I was his lawyer, I would have been like, you can't. I'm not you helping you fight. You can't fight this. No. You can't. You're clearly not crazy, too. So. Yeah. We can't plead insanity. You can't fight this. We can try and plead down a deal. Right. That's That's it. That's it. But... Either way, he is currently serving seven consecutive life sentences. So eat that, you fucking monster. Good. Yes, good. So Kayla faced Kolhep in court during his trial. She testified against him. Um, It's a little like some of her testimony is like she's very informative. She's very professional. In some of her testimony, she clearly blames herself for getting Charlie involved. Mm. She's the one who knew Kolhep. She's the one who used to help clean the houses. He's there because she was going to help him. So she still feels an enormous amount of guilt for getting Charlie into that mess, which is really sad. Um, And she also just felt terrible because of of seven people, of eight people total. She's the one that got to survive and she doesn't fully understand, like, why that happened to her. As I'm sure, like, survivor's guilt is a huge thing that I'm sure so many people we've talked about deal with all the time. Yes. Um, She also sued him for damages in civil court. So that's cool. Eat my dick. This is just the one last thing. This is from the Greenville News. Um, It's literally what they wrote, and I just thought it was nice. Brown took time to address the media following the end of her hearing. She thanked her friends, family, and law enforcement for their ongoing help, along with anyone and everyone out there who has ever said a prayer for me. Thank you. I'll be okay, she added. So, yeah. She's still like she's on a lot of therapy and stuff, but like, yeah, she's uh, all of her friends were like she's the strongest person I've ever met. She's f- fucking so amazing. So proud of you, Kayla. You did a really good job. You brought a man to justice. Good way to go. All right. So there's that. I'm gonna drink some beer. Any more beer? Oh man, I'll get you a beer. Hey girl. <laughs> hey girl, you need a beer? Hey, hey girl. And we're back. Mm. Mm. All right. So let's start my section mm-hmm. by discussing the differences between ethnic cleansing and genocide. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. I mean, do we have to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. Fuck. We do. Because it's going to come into play later. Wonderful. Mm. <laughs> All right. So genocide, as defined by the United Nations in 1948's Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of Crimes of Genocide. It outlines five acts that constitute genocide if they are done with the intent to destroy ethnic, national, racial, or religious groups. One, killing members of the group. Sure. Two, causing serious bodily or mental harm. Three, deliberately inflicting conditions of life calculated to bring about the group's physical destruction in a whole or part. Four, imposing measures intended to prevent births. Or five, forcibly transferring children. So you're literally destroying them from the inside, the outside, generationally. Everything. Yeah. So to qualify as genocide, this all must be done with the intent to eliminate an entire group of people. So without proving that, which is very difficult to prove, Hmm. it becomes... Crimes against humanity or ethnic cleansing. Okay. So that's why it's really hard to get something declared as an act of genocide. Because they literally have to say, 
This is a genocide. Yes. <laughs> wow, great. Now, ethnic cleansing literally only means the expulsion of a group from a certain area. Now, ethnic cleansing, technically speaking, is not recognized as a crime under international law. And that's according to the UN. Oh, wait. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey, the UN. So, oh, don't worry. We're going to yell at the UN a little bit. Oh, good. It's, oh, yeah. Just I a have little? a lot of anger about the UN. Just the skosh? So yeah. let's start by focusing on the Sudan, because that's the area I'm going to be talking about today. Oh, good. Now, the Sudan's so beautiful and perfect all the time. What are you talking about? Nothing bad has ever happened there. Yeah. I don't know how to tell you this. So here is a map. Of the Sudan. You guys, I get to see a map. You get of the to see Sudan. a map. Now we're going to be talking specifically about South Sudan. It looks like it's kind of its own deal. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. It's in the south, you guys, in case you weren't yeah. able to picture. It's the world's newest country. Whoa. It was formed in 2011. Oh, dope. All right. Now, this whole thing is super fucking timely, and I didn't expect it. <laughs> awesome. Um,. But somehow the world paid attention to the fact that I've been working on this for like two weeks. And they were like, here's a little extra tidbit for you. We're going to be talking about the ethnic cleansing in South Sudan, specifically an event at a hotel that soldiers were actually later tried for hotel and convicted. South Sudan. Yes. <laughs> now, just yesterday. Now, this is Thursday. So Wednesday... September 12th, South Sudan's president, Salva Kiir, signed a peace deal with the main rebel leader, um, Rick Makar. Wow. Formally ending the five-year war that was occurring in South Sudan. So the thing you're talking about today just ended Just ended yesterday. yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, holy fucking shit. That's crazy. I'm... Very creeped out right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So South Sudan is about the size of Texas. And it's got about 11 million or had about 11 million to 12 million people. Before the bad before stuff. Before everything started going sure. horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and it is one of the poorest countries in the world. It has a 27% literacy rate. And is so underdeveloped that it only has about 35 miles of paved roads. So there was a whole thing that happened and then they seceded successfully with the help of the United States to create their own state. It was finally approved and they were like, oh, yes, we are, we are our own country now. Dope. Yes, look at us go. <laughs> well. It was going okay. Everyone was very excited. It was one of the biggest successes in the world. Two so, and a half years mm -hmm. went by. Everything went to hell in a handbasket. So this is a huge success considered because it was peaceful at the time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, Why democracy won. They had a president. Like, right. President had a vice president. Wow. Why can't uh, we have nice things? Yeah. Well, um, July of 2011, or no, 2013, sorry. So two years, about two years after, 
the president, Salva Kiir, fired his vice president, oh, who no. was Rick Makar, the name I just mentioned for the leader of the rebel force. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Now, they were more rivals than partners. Kier thought that Makar was gunning for his job. And he thought he was trying to start a coup. Here's the other really important thing. They're both of different ethnic groups. Now, you might recognize that in Africa, a lot of the ethnic cleansing and genocide has been because of different ethnic groups or different religious groups. Mm Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, if they don't have anything else holding them together, they are going to break down into their tribal groups and try and kill each other. <laughs> like, this is just kind of what's happened across Africa. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have that sense of pride in their country because it's still so new. Countries as a concept were forced upon them. Yes. <laughs> like... Yes. So they broke down. Kier is ethnic Dinka, which is the largest of South Sudan's ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. Makar is Nuer, which is the second largest group. Okay. So for anyone playing at home and is having some flashbacks to Rwanda with Hutus and Tutsis. I was literally just. Uh-huh. Yes. So <laughs> they bumped heads. Mm-hmm. And on December 15th, members of the Presidential Guard, and this is in 2013... Um, members of the presidential guard who were Dinka tried to disarm members of the guard who were Nuer because they genuinely believed that they were going to stage a coup. This has no evidence backing it. Like, no one can prove there was actually a coup in the making. They were just paranoid. They were fucking paranoid. Yeah. And it exploded across the country and turned into this massive conflict. Fuck. It was bad so the main antagonists were considered the rebels um often ethnic nowhere and they were called the white army um they report that the group got its name because the fighters smeared themselves with white ash to protect Hmm. themselves from insects Hmm. um they seized territory including some of the oil producing land which is their biggest export and their biggest money maker so, I bet you're thinking, you know, like, hey, we helped give South Sudan its independence. Why are they fighting? <laughs> but why? And are you going to talk about Darfur? Because that's also in Sudan. Look, there's <laughs> Which a lot happening. Had <laughs> genocide. Yeah. That was its own mess. I thought you were going to ask, are we going to help? And I was like, oh, I'm not no. asking that because no. I don't think we will <laughs> or no. have or did. No. Uh-uh. We're the fucking worst. We, we love are. to start shit and, and then, then just, just ghost. Take a step back. Yeah. Just float away into the fucking night. So some of the forces that fought in Darfur are also present in the South Sudan, which isn't helping anything they're like hey you know what you could do yeah you know, we've been you know you could do this thing so the sudan people's liberation movement um the splm suddenly it became south sudan's national army hmm. splm was very present 
in the genocide at Darfur. So it doesn't bode well for anything going on. No. Now, I'm not going to get into, like, the whole history of the colonization and, like, I'm the weird historical nerd that's super into that kind of shit. And I have been, like, since I was, like, 11 when it comes to, like, the colonization of Africa and how that affected everything and how everything went to hell in a handbasket. So, like I said, SPLM was present in the Darfur conflict. Now, with the Darfur conflict, they were trying to get autonomy from the Khartoum government, and that might kind of come into play later. I'm not really going to, like, talk about it that much, though. It's all V-complicated. Yeah. So, something... The reason I bring up Darfur, though, is because most of our listeners are going to be at the age group where they remember the Save Darfur campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, there was so much information out there about Darfur and that saved our four campaign made the government of the Sudan a little easier to pressure into giving South Sudan its independence. Hmm. Okay. Now this saved our four made the Khartoum government, the bad guy, which like isn't necessarily like wrong, but it also then set up South Sudan as the underdog or the good guy. Like the one everyone's cheering for to get their independence. And right. It's such a big thing. Mm-hmm. And it put everyone on like higher pedestals than they really should have been. Sure. And set everything up like this is going to be great. You've got your independence now. Mm-hmm. Go. Right. And it's like, no, they nothing else problems. really actually changed. Yeah. Right. Well, we love that, too. It's a great story. We it's aren't great. paying attention to the historical issues here. And now we're going to go. Okay, yeah. bye. <laughs> so a lot of shit goes wrong. And as we know, the UN didn't want to label this as genocide. They really didn't want to say anything was wrong. Is that just because they don't like how many genocides there have been? And they're like, it's, it looks bad if we add like a 29th yeah. genocide. Yeah. yeah. This is just ethnic cleansing. This is not genocide. See, and to me, honestly, I didn't, I didn't know the definition of ethnic cleansing. And that sounds terrible, too. Yeah. It sounds fucking horrifying. Yeah. So a member of British Parliament went down to South Sudan, which... I already have issues with as a whole of like, hey, maybe British people should just like stay out of Africa. Hey, forever. Like, just forever. Don't. We had to put up a, we're going to put up a wall around oh, God. Africa. We're going to keep all the British people out. <laughs> They've literally done the zero Dutch. good. <laughs> yeah, and the Dutch <laughs> and probably just all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, Preeti Patel went down to see what was going on to try and call attention to everything that was happening. And she went down um, after the incident I'm going to talk about, I think, time-wise. It was around the same time that she was there. And she's saying, you know, they're, they're experiencing ethnic cleansing and she's calling for help and trying to create this international pressure to get someone to do something about this. And that no one's standing up for these people. And at that point, more than 1.5 million people had fled. Wow. Yes. That's so many people. Okay. 
Now on to the actual incident that I'm going to talk about. Ooh. Now, there was a lot of horrible shit happening. Like, a lot of horrible shit. And I will get into my rage <laughs> that I have fostered for about 20 years against the UN. <laughs> so, July 11, 2015, I believe. The South Sudanese troops had just won a three-day battle in the capital of Juba. Now, they were, like, manic. So they went on about a five-hour rampage. Oh, great. Through the residential compound that was really popular with uh, foreigners and where a lot of the foreign aid workers were living. Great. Why is it that when we like things that happen as a human race, we just have to destroy stuff? rage. Yeah. What is it? I don't know. So... I'll get into more of the details, but overall, they shot and killed a local journalist while forcing foreigners to watch. They raped several of the foreign women, singled out Americans, and then beat and robbed people and carried out mock executions. Oh, shit. So, content warning. Just proceed with your own caution here. here. Here we all are together. Here we are. So, there were... Eight people that spoke up and actually did an interview with the Associated Press. And three of the women said they were raped. The other five said they were beaten. One was shot, who I will talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, many people did and still do insist on anonymity for their own safety. I mean, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of the organizations they belong to are still operating or were still out. Well, no, they're still operating right now. Well, the peace treaty, because they've tried that before. There was a peace treaty before, and it didn't end well. Just because they say we're going to do a thing now doesn't mean... Here's the thing. The attack, the main attack was on the Terrain Hotel. There was a UN peacekeeping compound not that far away. Mm -hmm. They've had some issues with the peacekeepers in Cuba not stopping the rapes of local women by soldiers, um, including outside of the UN's main camp. Women were being raped, like right outside. Like, and hey, they weren't, look at yeah, us. yeah, and they weren't being stopped. Do they? So they have, like, and this is their, now their own U.S. forces, like their UN forces. Yes, uh, and this yeah. is now out of the '90s, where they had to have specific rules of engagement. Or they can stand by, but they can't interact. They can't return fire. They can't do anything. They have the prime directive, basically, yes. which is So weird. they can stop this. They can step in because they are there to protect the citizens. Mm-hmm. And the citizens are being directly hurt in front of them. Yes. So a terrain staffer said that he saw between 80 to 100 men dressed in uniforms invade the compound after they broke down the gate. Uh, An American quotes, they were very excited, very drunk, under the influence of something, almost a mad state, walking around, shooting off rounds inside the rooms. Wow. So for about an hour, the soldiers beat the American and fired bullets at his feet and close to his head. Eventually, he was told to leave. And the American made his way to the nearby uh, UN compound and begged for help. Yeah. This is in the first hour of their five hour stay there. Fuck. 
Meanwhile, the soldiers were breaking into different parts of the hotel and different parts of the apartment block, which had been called a safe house because it had a huge metal door on it. So it had been officially deemed a safe house. Mm -hmm. So they broke it down. They found John um, Gathlock, who was a South Sudanese journalist. Um, the tribal scars on his forehead made it obvious that he was Nuer, which was the same as the opposition leader. Mm-hmm. Um, the soldiers forced the foreigners to stand in a semicircle around him. Um, one of the soldiers ranted against the foreigner, saying he definitely had pronounced hatred against America. And then so just trying to get the rest of them around him to hate him. Yep. And then the quote from one of the soldiers was, you messed up this country. You're helping the rebels. He's just a journalist. Yep. So then the journalist was hauled in front of the group. One of the, sh- the soldiers shouted his tribe at him. So he's like, no air. Mm-hmm. As if it's like a dirty word. Right. And then he was shot. Ugh. So he did not survive. So he's the journalist that was killed. Mm-hmm. The soldiers then began sexually assaulting the women. Um, they shot through the door of a bathroom where several people were hiding, including Jesse Bunch, who was an American contractor who was hit in the leg when they shot through the door. Um, he said, they broke down the door. They came in. They began to threaten the women. They separated us into groups. They took us outside. We saw where they had shot the local journalist, and then they began to separate the women into various rooms. I said, look, these women are here to help you. Don't hurt them. But they continued to take them out. And then I heard crying in the other rooms. Mm. Yes. Like, oh my God. So, um, Shahan Henry is with the Human Rights Watch and has also spoken to several of the women who, again, did not want to be identified. Sure. Total anonymity. Horrible thing that happened to them. Mm. Absolutely. Um, she, another woman was hiding with 12 other women and it took apparently a while to be found like they did a really good job of hiding oh wow good for them i guess but But when they were found they were taken into one of the rooms Mm. uh quote from the survivor who's unnamed there was blood on the floor and there were panties on the floor so i knew what he was going to do and i assumed the worst especially after seeing the blood so she curled up on the floor and locked her legs it was just like you are not getting you are not getting to this. me at all. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, the soldier kept hitting her with an AK-47. Oh, ow, ow, ow! And he kept screaming at her to open her legs, and then he said, "I'm going to kill you if you don't open your legs." So then another man joins the other guy and starts screaming at her too. Um, the new guy takes his gun out, points it at her left temple. And then shoots the floor right next to her. Oh, my God. And her quote is, it was just so loud, I couldn't hear, and I kind of lost my wits at that point. Uh, Sure. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine withstanding it to the point that she did already. But then, yeah, now you're disoriented, like, woof. She was then raped by 15 different men. Oh, my God. Um, Finally, she was rescued by a South Sudanese soldier who she suspects had been waiting outside the whole time. 
And just being like, I'll just let them do this, and yeah. then eventually I'll go get yeah. her. Um, the the woman who was raped by 15 of the soldiers also then is later quoted as saying, all of us were contacting whoever we could contact, the UN, the U.S. Embassy, specific, uh, specific battalions within the UN, specific departments that they had access to. They were calling anyone and everyone. Sure. They were sending emails, texts, Facebook messages, anything they could get their hands on to plead for help. Um, a member of the UN's Joint Operations Center in Juba um, first received notice of the attack at 3.37 p.m., which was minutes after the first breach. Sure. And yet it still took five, five hours, hours, and it wasn't any of those people they reached out to that came to help them. Even though they were assured someone was coming. Right, it's probably like... Well, it's not going to be us. We have to confer and, yeah. and make somebody else do it. So per the Human Rights Watch, everyone refused to go, um, especially the UN armies from Ethiopia, China, and Nepal. What, were the, what was their reasoning? Just they, The peacekeepers did not want to venture outside of their bases to protect civilians. To keep the peace? Under imminent threat. To do the thing they were supposed to do? Yes. Oh my god. So, like I said, eventually South Sudanese security forces entered the hotel. They rescued all but three of the Western women and around 16 of the staff. And then a private security firm rescued the rest the next morning. So they were forced to stay there overnight after That's going horrible. through all of these awful things. Oh, my God. I would never want to even look at that building again. Like, step foot in those rooms. The UN was obviously questioned uh -huh. on why they didn't respond. This is the problem with the, like, because who's questioning, who's watching the watchers? You know, yes. like, the UN is the one who does these things. Yep. So the UN said it was investigating. Um, quote, Obviously, we regret the loss of life and the violence that the people who were in Hotel Terrain endured, and we take this incident very seriously. Yeah. Who is the deputy? That was the deputy spokesman for the UN Secretary General, Farhan Haq. So the UN Secretary General was concerned by the allegations that the UN mission didn't respond appropriately. I would be concerned too. And called for an independent investigation. Um, the U.S was also calling for accountability for their people on the ground there on why they didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and again, our uh, human rights watch person is like, this wasn't an isolated incident because they've had issues with people at UN bases getting snatched and raped by soldiers on the road. Um, this wasn't the only compound that this has happened at. And what's happened to many of the native South Sudanese people has been horrific. Ugh. Yeah. So, obviously, one of the Western women who was there was like, I don't have much faith in the UN investigation. They're investigating themselves, their own failure. Like, yeah. I would never listen to somebody investigating themselves. Yeah. Like, that's not how this works. So she, she says that she wasn't raped during the ordeal, um, but her quote is, rape is part of the military arsenal that is the South Sudanese government. Oh, no, that's the South Sudanese government employs on a daily basis. Why, after two years of documenting these kind of incidences, 
would we be surprised that they would do it to Americans, to Westerns, to aid workers? Yeah, that's yeah. not surprising. Yeah. So she called for the U.S. to rethink its approach to the South Sudan and try to push harder for international arms embargoes because, again, the U.S. had played a huge part in this country gaining its independence. Right. And now it's on fire. Right. And we are And the U.S. is like, da 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 Yeah. Oh, whoops. Did, one, did I do that? Like, <laughs> so this whole five-hour ordeal happened. Mm-hmm. This is when it gets, like, a little crazy. Ten soldiers, well, technically 11 soldiers, were actually put on trial for what happened at the hotel. Like they could prove 11 people? Yes. Were actually there and, and did this shit? Yes. Interesting. So 10 out of the 11 were, were sentenced. One soldier was acquitted because of a lack of evidence. Um, another died in jail during the trial. So sorry, there were 12 people. Oh, okay. So, so 10 altogether sentenced. 10 were sentenced. Um, they were sentenced for rape of foreign aid workers and then the murder of a journalist. So two of the soldiers were found guilty of being involved in the murder and were sentenced to life in prison. Who is doing the trial? Like, who is sentencing them? The South Sudanese government. Because, yeah, it's like, it's still functioning just enough. And there to were have a law and order. lot of hiccups with the trial. Yeah. Um, it took a while. Uh-huh. It took a while. This is not a functioning society. No. So how to have a trial, I don't know. Like, that's hard. Yeah, but they had the trial. There was a brigadier general presiding over it. Mm-hmm. Just nothing to balk at. Sure. Um, so two soldiers were found guilty for the murder and were sentenced to life in prison. Three soldiers were found guilty of raping aid workers, four of sexual harassment, and one of theft and um, armed robbery. They all received, obviously, then prison sentences ranging from 7 to 14 years in jail. According to Amnesty International. Seven to 14 yeah. years. So the only ones who actually got life sentences were the murderers. Right. But like everybody else was like, eh. Right. Eh, it's just a woman, so. Yeah. Great. Is this the 80s here? The fuck? So five of the rape victims had legal representation at the trial. Um, the rape victims were given $4,000 each in compensation. Sure. Which definitely pissed off that lawyer. He's like, this is in no way enough. Enough. Yeah. And this is embarrassing. Yeah. This is an insult. The hotel owner mm-hmm. was given $2.2 million in compensation for the destruction and looting of his property. Sure. So the rape victims get forty or $4,000 each. The family of the man who was killed gets 51 cattle, but that hotel owner. Right. And I'm, you know, property damage. Sure. You need, you're a business owner. You need your business. I don't think I would argue against him getting that money, but everybody else should have gotten more money. Yes. One of the uh, statistics is nearly a hundred aid workers have been killed in the conflict since it started just in South Sudan. Aid workers. Aid workers. Not counting any of 
the natives or right. what else has happened. But that is like an international problem. That is a huge international problem. That's people from other countries coming in and getting specifically targeted to be killed. Like, cause that's what happened in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a child in the nineties and having enough cognitive awareness and my own anger and wanting to help the world and to stop this mm-hmm. and, being a female aid worker was never on my bucket list Mm -hmm. because you see this you see the treatment you hear the stories Mm -hmm. it was something i'm i know my mother would have never allowed sure no matter how much i pushed it's so dangerous yeah so it's awful it's all awful there was some justice from this right People were brave enough because, like, one of the women also testified at the trial. Mm -hmm. She went into a Sudanese courtroom, faced her accusers. That's so brave. Like, she, like, faced her rapists and fucking stood up for herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And faced possible backlash from this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because, again, not a functioning government. You are not protected. No. You do this at your own risk. Right. Which is one of the reasons why so many of the cases that people try and present against soldiers don't go through, especially in countries like this where you don't have the functioning. Wants nobody testify. wants to stand up against them. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's sometimes the only evidence you have is eyewitness testimony. Yeah. And nobody wants to get fucking shot as they leave the courthouse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... There was an internal report and the UN secretary general quoted um, saying there is a very real risk of mass atrocities being committed in South Sudan. Risk? Because I think it's just happening already. Risk. Risk. You're right. It's just a risk. risk. You're right. It might happen someday. The Secretariat will continue to make every effort to implement the mandated task of protecting civilians through the use of all necessary means. Are you sure? But it must be clearly understood that the United Nations peacekeeping operations do not have the appropriate reach, manpower, or capabilities to stop mass atrocities. Also, if it interrupts our game of canasta that we have going on in our barracks, then I don't know what to tell you. We have tea time specifically at 2.30. So if you decide you're going to start shooting each other at 2.35, there's nothing I can do for you. Unacceptable. My last quote is from the journalist that died. Um, He wrote this in an interview to his employers before he passed away. Uh, He worked for Internews. Um, So this is from John. Being a journalist in South Sudan is risking one's life, but I've dedicated myself to serving my community through radio as a watchdog, informing them about what the politicians are doing once the citizens elect them to power. So, like, he knew the risks. And they must he, all. Being a journalist in a place like that is It's fucking dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. It's so necessary, and it's, it's so It's so dangerous. necessary, but it's so fucking dangerous. Yeah. And massive props to the people who are out there reporting right now in countries that are having some issues. Absolutely. Um, and massive props to all the survivors there that yeah. are fucking have to go on and live their lives. Yeah. 
Well, that was really uplifting. We sure did that, didn't we? Uh oh. <laughs> you know, when we started this podcast, <laughs> the uh oh feeling that we were referring to was not the existential dread that I now feel. But, but it's I'm, also a different kind of uh-oh feeling. I'm starting to feel like maybe this is the real uh-oh feeling. This was the uh-oh feeling inside of us all along. I am going to bring back the actual uh-oh feeling, though, in the next episode. Good. All right. I have a real, real good stalker story. Fuck With some good, yeah. good uh-ohs. Hell yeah. But all also, right. focus on your existential uh-oh feelings. I mean, okay, like... There's a lot to be existentially uh-oh feeling about right now. <laughs> oh, there's so much. There's oh so fucking much. America's on fire. So literally. Do, it, do what you need to do to not go crazy. I just listened to Pod Save America where they talked to Jason Isbell, the country singer. But oh. he's like really fucking cool about everything. He's like very liberal and very woke about shit. <laughs> and like, so he was just like, I think it's important. There's privilege in not being able to be political all the time. I get to be that way because I have, he literally says, because I have shoes. If I wasn't, if I was walking down the street barefoot, you better goddamn believe I would be running around the street screaming about the politics of how to get me some fucking shoes. (laughs) It was amazing. Yeah. So like those of us have that privilege who have that privilege should recognize that that is a privilege at the same time. What he also said was you are more effective if you just maybe just. Just let yourself focus on, like, something else for, like, five minutes. Don't go completely insane while you focus on how horrible everything is. Because then no one will listen to you and it's not yep. helpful. Yep. But just keep, don't stop paying attention. Don't stop paying attention yep. overall. Even if you're tired and scared. <laughs> just pay attention. Keep looking. Don't always engage. I chose not to engage in an argument at work. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do that, and sometimes arguments are worth having. Just Apparently depends. about how horrible Nike is for signing. Oh, my God. Colin, I'm like, Re- really? Real- we're we're going to talk about this right now. Uh-huh. Really? I work. Cool. Okay. Where I, I can't, can't run you. away, and <laughs> I can't hit you. <laughs> awesome. <sighs> Look, I think you all know where we are on this. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to fucking, like, be an asshat, titty baby, walnut sucking little shit (laughs) and burn your nike stuff like a petulant child that you probably spent if you're burning a bunch of stuff you probably spent over a thousand dollars on yeah like capitalism still wins there you assholes you're an idiot (laughs) donate it if you're that frustrated seriously donate it don't burn it you fucking little bitches (laughs) god sick of your shit fuck don't be an asshat. And also, it's not about the flag. It's not about the flag. Ah! I'm fine. I'm fine. Emily's not fine. Hey, I'm Emily, guess what? Fine. Don't no, fuck. <laughs> Don't forget your can of water. God fucking damn it, Taylor.